Greetings in the matchless name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's such a joy and pleasure to share the Word of God with you again. I hope you have been following all the uh, messages in the Foundation series. Already we have done seven, uh, and this is the eighth in that series. Um, so many of you have been uh, contacting, wanting to know more about this, uh, you know, Trinitarian understanding of the gospel. And uh, as I have been telling repeatedly, that the lens that we use to see is, is the most important thing. Usually people keep saying, um, plain reading of scripture. You know, you might have heard, if you're into theology, you might have come across these phrases. Plain reading of scripture. What does the Bible say? It is just written in black and white, you know. Uh, but the way we make sense out of it, right? Um, it all depends on our lenses that we use to appro approach scripture. So I always say, blessed are those who know what lens they use. Everybody uses lens, right? You use a lens. I use a lens. Everybody is using a lens, but many people assume that they do not use a lens and they are plainly reading scripture and they are understanding just as it is. If it is as simple as that, then we won't be having 40,000 denominations, right? Uh, and there are so many books, four views on this, four views on that, four views on all major topics and everybody talking from the Bible, right? So um, why it is like that is because of the lens that we use. And what is the lens that we are using is so important. Uh, as I told last week, some people use heaven and hell as a lens to understand everything. Some people use kingdom as a lens to uh, understand everything. I prefer to use the lens Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit as the lens to understand everything. And why we use that lens and when we use that lens, how do we understand things so that, you know, people are interested to know more. Uh, if you are a pastor or a leader uh, leading home groups or, you know, you are in a place where you're influencing somebody, you're sharing, you're, you know, you want to teach others and you want to know more in this um, uh, about the Trinitarian understanding of our faith, we'll be doing a five-day crash course um, uh, the English sessions would be from December 7th to 11th, uh, which is a Monday to Friday. Uh, you can look for the details at the end of the sermon. And we'll be doing this uh, five-day thing from 23rd of November to 27th in Tamil, just only in Tamil and in December only in English. So uh, if you are, are comfortable with whatever language you can uh, register for the same, the details will be at the end of the sermon. Okay. Yeah. So we have been saying that the truth of all truths is the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit. And that's a reality of all realities and truth of all truths. And that's the foundation. And that's, that's why we are here. You know, that we are here 
because of an overflow of this relationship. And we are not born out of a need. You know, we are not born out to do something for God. All those things, you know, uh, we are just born to participate, to be included. So, so the key words are included and participation. And we are included so that we can participate in the life, in the nature, you know. Uh, this is not an afterthought that we should be included. That, uh, okay, after God created Adam, they're like, okay, can we include them into our life? No, 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 no. The pre-creation purpose, right? You should understand. The pre-creation purpose is that we should be included, that we should participate, that we should take part of whatever they have that is exclusive for them. So the Zoe life is exclusive for them. God alone is immortal. So uh, to share that immortal life, that the life, Zoe life, which has no beginning and no end, which, which God alone possess, right? The pre-creation purpose is that God wanted to share that kind of life that is happening within the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, which is a very relational life. That life is, is, is at the fiber, at the core, at, at every point. It's super relational. Right, it's other-centered, self-giving, self-emptying, uh, mutual indwelling, perichorotic life. That life, God decided. The triune God decided that man would partake of it. Therefore, he was created in the image. Uh, let me read a couple of uh, verses. I think we read Ephesians one, right? We said, "Blessed be God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will." See, the good pleasure of His will. You know, we, we really don't understand God's will. We are like, uh, oh, should we work in this company or that company? What is God's will? Should we marry this person or that person? We think God's will is about that. Um, you know, yes, God wants to be involved in where you are working, uh, all those things. But, you know, God's will is much, much bigger than all those things. God's will is about you being included into the Trinitarian life. And to participate. That is the pre-creation purpose. Uh, come with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 9. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. Not according to our works. But according to his own purpose and grace. Which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Before time began. Before anything began. Right? Before time began. There was a purpose in Christ Jesus. That's why repeatedly we are saying Christ Jesus is not an afterthought of the fall. What is that? That pre-creation purpose was manifested in flesh. Incarnation is fleshing out the pre-creation purpose of God. Right? What is incarnation? Incarnation is the fleshing out of the pre-creation purpose of the triune God. Um, what is that? 
but has now been revealed by the appearing of your of our savior jesus christ who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel you see life and immortality you remember tree of life which had the immortal life was there in the garden and god wanted man to participate of that and he did not want man to participate of death knowledge of good and evil which brings death but he wanted to participate of the tree of life which brings immortality to him so the pre creation purpose is that god god alone possess life god alone possess immortality right that's what we read in uh, uh 1 timothy chapter 6 verse 16 it says who alone who alone has immortality dwelling in in unapproachable light whom no man has seen or can see to whom be honor and everlasting power amen right god alone possesses immortality god alone has zoe life god alone has this life that doesn't have beginning and doesn't have end uh, because that's everything else has a beginning every created life has a beginning but zoe life doesn't have beginning doesn't have end because it's a trinitarian life it is an life that the father son and the holy spirit alone enjoys because of their relationship with each other the way the father knows the son the way the son knows the father through the holy spirit that is trinitarian life that is zoe life that is eternal life that is immortal life and god wanted man to be partakers of that wow this this god of course you know <laughs> his purposes are different of why he created man but this god he created you to be included he created you to participate of the zoe life this divine life eternal life and in immortality and when this is the pre creation purpose and the fall was as i explained in detail about the sin the sin is not just a mere disobedience sin is not a legal problem you know sin is a fundamental knowing problem why because here what is eternal life john 17:3 right it says to know him to know him knowing him is eternal life right so we are created to know and to be known when this is is the uh definition of eternal life what is sin sin is this heart not being able to know this wounded heart this broken heart you know uh and you know the black hole of pain through which we see everything through which we interpret everything through which we understand everything you know that pain has become our our framework the pain has become the lens we hear through our pain we see through our pain we judge through our pain uh, you know we are created for connection but we hide in 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 shame and in anxiety and in and fear and in trauma um, you know 
So that is the problem of sin. It is not a legal problem. So when, if it is just a legal problem, a legal solution would be enough. But the problem is not just legal, it is much, much deeper. And we were telling how uh, Jesus, you know, stepped into our darkness and reached us there. And see, to, to, to make this issue a legal issue is not just a small mistake that we make. It's a blunder. In fact, it's a heresy to make this a legal thing and, and make the whole gospel a legal arrangement, right? Uh, to say, how, how, does, how, how does this legal framework work? I, wa I want you guys to understand that because it's so important. Um, from where did we get the gospel? The evangelical definitions of salvation, righteousness, justification, uh, wrath, all those things comes from a legal understanding. And how does that framework work, you know, uh, is something that I want you guys to understand. Um, usually how it goes is this God is holy, right? This God is holy and this God meaning this judge God, this angry God, solitaire God, single God out there is he is a holy God. That holiness is not relational because there is nothing to relate to. He is alone, right? So his holiness is purity. In fact, the word goodness, when we say God is good, also everything is in terms of legal. You know, God is without sin. God is good. Uh, God is holy. God is just. And then man sinned. So God is holy, man sinned. God loves man at the same time. Now he has to punish man because he is uh, love, but he is holy, right? I told you there are two sides to God uh, and how those things work. This God is holy. This God is morally good, you know, but man sinned. So now man has to be punished, right? But God is too holy and he cannot look on sin. So God is too holy. Second, he cannot look upon sin. Third point is Jesus became sin. And fourth is, therefore, God turned his face. God turned his face away from Jesus. So Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why did you forsake me? Okay. So are you understanding? This is how this whole gospel is built. God is too holy. He cannot look upon sin. Um, Jesus became sin on the cross. So God had to turn his face away from him because he cannot look on Jesus because Jesus has made sin right now. And, uh, you know, uh, therefore Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why did you forsake me? And God punished Jesus. God poured out his wrath on Jesus at that point. You know, God, God uh, poured out 
their just wrath upon Jesus. My goodness. Do you know, uh, this whole thing is not even in the Bible, the way it is presented. That God poured out his wrath on Jesus, God punished Jesus for our sins. It's just not in the Bible. I'm going to uh, show you that. First, I want to show you how this framework works. And uh, let's take the point, he cannot look upon sin. From where do they come, uh, come up with that idea, he cannot look upon sin? I mean, when God entered the garden, uh, when Adam sinned, did he come like this? Adam, where are you? I cannot look upon you because you sinned. Is that how God walked into the garden? No, 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 no. God was able to talk to Adam. Adam was not able to look upon God. Okay? Adam was not able to look upon God. Adam got blinded. Adam got... <laughs> he went into trauma. He went into anxiety. You know, the being of God did not change. Sin did not change the being of God. Sin changed and corrupted the being of Adam. Okay? So from where did we, do we get this idea, God cannot look upon sin? C come with me to Hebrew, uh, Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 13. You are of purer eyes than to behold evil. Okay, this God or is of purer eyes than to behold evil. Okay? And cannot look on wickedness. So this two phrases is what people used to say. God is holy. He cannot look, look, look upon sin. Here it says you are of purer eyes than to behold the evil and cannot look on wickedness. But the, what does the prophet question? At least, you know, you don't need to read the whole chapter. At least read the whole verse so that you understand what the context is. Why do you look on those who deal treacherously? And, ho and hold your tongue when the wicked devours a person more righteous than he. Are you, are, you, are you understanding what the prophet is crying? The prophet is saying, I thought you are of purer eyes and you cannot look at evil. But you are looking at that guy doing all sorts of evil. That guy is devouring the righteous. That guy is doing all sorts of nonsense and you're looking at him and not doing anything. So this whole thing that people use, Habakkuk 1.13, God, you are of purer eyes than to behold evil. That same verse is charging God that you are looking at evil. Okay, so to use this verse to say God cannot look at sin and he turned away his face is just not right. Because that's not what it says. You know, you are a God of pure eyes. You will, uh, you cannot look at evil and keep quiet. What's the point prophet is making here, Habakkuk is making here is, if you look at evil, you will do something about it. You will get down and do something about it. And prophet is feeling that God is not doing something and he's like, God, you're looking at evil and why are you not doing anything? Right? That's the whole question. It's not about stainless steel purity where God is like, yuck, oh, that is sin, I cannot look. No, 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 no. That's not how God sees sin. That is not God, how God sees sin. Right? That is one thing. And um, 
If sin is a legal issue, let's come back to this question of 2 Corinthians 5.21, right? God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. So Jesus was made sin. He was made sin, right? If sin is a legal issue, if sin is disobedience, if sin is mere disobedience, how did Jesus become sin? How did Jesus become sin? Did Jesus disobey? Because we always define sin as disobedience. What is sin? Disobedience is sin. Disobedience is sin. If disobedience is sin and Jesus was made sin, how does that work legally? It doesn't even make sense. Right? Okay, let's... Let's say he was made sin and, you know, he cannot look upon evil. And therefore, at that time, because he was made sin, now God poured, pours his wrath on Jesus. Where do we get that idea? From where did we get the idea that God poured out his wrath on Jesus? Isaiah 53. You know, I've been teasing you with Isaiah 53 for the last few weeks. Don't worry this week. I'll handle it. But just think about it. Where does the Bible say God poured out his wrath on Jesus? God punished Jesus. Uh, in the New Testament, you know, in the New, in the New Testament, does it come anywhere that God poured out his wrath? You know, uh, people come and say, um, to Romans 8, 32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Right? People use this verse to say, you know, see, God did not uh, spare his own son. Yeah. See, what here it is not saying God punished Jesus. Here it is not saying God poured out his wrath on Jesus. Here it says, he gave his own son for us, for us to ill-treat him and mistreat him like that, to show his love for us. The father gave his son for us. Will he not freely give us all things? That's what that verse is. It is not talking about God pouring out his wrath on Jesus. That's not what it says. Um, uh, in fact, what does it say in Romans 5? In Romans 5, let's read from verse 5 onwards. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. Hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. See, the triune God's act. For when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. It perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his wrath towards us. God demonstrates his anger towards us. Is that what it says? No. But God demonstrates his own love towards us. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In fact, the next verse says, much more than having now been justified by his blood, shall we shall be saved from wrath through him. So what, what wrath? Yeah. 
if if when we were enemies we were reconciled to god through the death of his son much more having been reconciled we shall be saved by his life see people read these verses and try to read that god is punishing jesus and god is seeing us as his enemies that is not what it says oh see see it says see we were enemies yeah 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 come come with me to colossians we'll put a finger over there we'll come back to it colossians chapter 1 verse 21 and you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind in your mind your mind we were enemies in our mind yeah what does uh, the passion translation say of colossians 1 even though you were once distant from him you were once distant from him living in the shadows of your evil thoughts and actions we were living in the shadows of our evil thoughts we were living in our shadows of our evil thoughts he reconnected you back to himself wow look at the message you yourselves are a case study of what he does at one time you all had your backs turned to god who turned the back on god adam turned his back on god we turned our backs on him we turned our backs to god thinking rebellious thoughts of him giving him trouble every chance you got but now by giving himself completely at the cross actually dying for you christ brought you over to god's side christ did not bring god to your side christ brought you over to god's side are you are you understanding what i'm saying we turned our back we had rebellious thoughts about him we were giving him trouble at every given point we were enemies in our mind while we were enemies that's what roman says while we were doing all these things while we were still enemies in our mind and we were killing him you know crucifying him uh, speaking spiteful things about him when not when we were good and asking lord save us oh ri ba 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 oh save us lord when we were praying like that jesus did not die for us while we were enemies while we were treating god as our enemy while we were spiteful of him angry with him and and you we were lashing out our wrath on him christ died for us and god did not spare his own son meaning god did not protect his son from our wrath he delivered him up for us my goodness do you know as a father i would just keep quiet if you come against me but if you come against my son then you will know what wrath is but the father gave up his beloved son while we were pouring out our wrath on him 
while we were treating him as our enemy and crucifying him and doing all sorts of things, he delivered him up into our hands because of his love for us. God demonstrated his love toward us. That's what it says. Verse 8, 5, 8, Romans 5, 8. For God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, while we were still enemies, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. What is wrath? You know, I explained to you a couple of weeks ago what wrath is. I want you to go and watch what wrath is. The wrath that is coming. You know, destruction. 80-70, in this context, it's 80-70 wrath. That we'll be saved. For, for when we were enemies in our own mind, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. God was not reconciled to us. We were reconciled to him. See, because of your framework, because of our framework, we read all these verses different. That's what I am saying. Oh, plain, plain, brother, plain reading of scriptures. There is nothing called plain reading of scriptures. What lens are you using? Because that lens is going to make the connections for you. The lens is going to make, answer the why of things for you. That's why getting the lens right is so important. See, usually says sin separates God from us. Sin separates God from us. And, you know, uh, from where do we get that? Um, we get that from Isaiah 59. 15, Isaiah 59 verse 1 and 2. It's a very famous verse. What does it say? Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. Nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear. <laughs> Usually, when you have the wrong lens, you come to the conclusion exactly opposite of what the verse is saying. Just like how I showed you in Habakkuk 1.13. Here, Isaiah 59, verse 1 and 2. The Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. Meaning what? The Lord's hand is already outstretched to save. It is not short that it cannot save. It's already outstretched. And his Ear is not heavy. That means his ear is already like this. His ear is not heavy that he cannot hear. Okay. But your iniquities have separated God from you. No. What does it say? Your iniquities have separated you from God. That, that arrangement makes all the difference. If it reads your sin separates God from you, then it's a different. It says your sin separates you from God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. No. See, when it says he already first verse says he is super willing to hear and super willing to save. But we are not able to receive that salvation. We are not able to, you know, you know, listen to what he says, it's because our sin has separated us from him. Now let's do Isaiah 53. It's called the servant, song of the servant, suffering servant. Actually, the text starts from, you know, Isaiah 52. 
verse 13, right? The sin-bearing servant. That's where the, you know, uh, thing begins. That's why they have given the subtitle there. The sin-bearing servant. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Just as many were astonished at you, so his visage was marred, his face was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths at him. For what had not been told them, they shall see. And what they had not heard, they shall consider. So here the prophet is saying, kings will be astonished. They will clap and close their mouth. Looking at him of what happened to him on the cross. Who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as root out of dry ground. And he has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Verse 3. What does it say? He is despised and rejected by whom? By God. He is despised and rejected by men. He is despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid our faces from him. Who hid? Who hid? The father hid his face. We hid our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. We did not esteem him. Okay. We despised him. We did not esteem him. We rejected him. We turned our face on him. Okay. Just put a finger over there. Come with me to Psalms 22. 24. 22 is where he began crying. My God, my God, why did you forsake me? Right. Uh, the entire Psalm talks about, you know, what happened to him on the cross. Uh, look at verse 7. It says, all those who see me ridicule me. They shoot up the lip. They shake the head saying, he trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Uh, verse 16, for dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them. And my clothing, they cast lots. This is what exactly happened on the cross. Right from verse 1. My God, my God, why did you forsake me? And it goes on explaining. Come to verse 24. For he, talking about God the Father. For he, the Father, has not despised nor abode the affliction of the afflicted. Nor has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him, he heard. Okay, keep verse 24. Come with me to Isaiah 53 again. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. We hid our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. See, we were enemies in our mind, but what were we preaching and what were we believing? God is seeing us as his enemies. We hid our face from him. What were we preaching all these years? 
Oh, the father hid his face from Jesus. Why? See, that is what pain does. If you are married, you will know what I am speaking. When you are in pain, you often blame the spouse. Often what you are doing to the spouse, you would be blaming the spouse is doing to you. Not just married, you know, if you are in pain, if you are hurt, if you are offended, you would do that with everyone around you. You would say, yeah, you are judging me. And if you really sit and think, you are the one who is judging people. Everybody is so judgmental. Everybody is judging me. So whatever is our reality, we paint it on the face of people. And through Adam, we painted it on the face of God. Oh, he hid, he hid his face. Oh, he has rejected. Oh, he has despised. He is not hearing when I'm crying. Mm, let's continue. This is verse 3, verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He has borne our griefs. He has carried our sorrows. Yet, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. There you have it. There you have it. There you have what? What, what do we have there? Does it say God struck him? That, does it say, you know, God smote him? God afflicted him? No. He was carrying our griefs. He was carrying our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken of God. Yet we esteemed him stricken. Of God. Isaiah 53, right? In in Passion, um, verse 3 says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of deep sorrows, who has no who was no stranger to suffering and grief. We hid our faces from him in disgust and considered him a nobody, not worthy of respect. Yet he was the one who carried our sicknesses. Look at the word. This is why. The same verse when quoted in Matthew, right? It says he carried our sickness and he carried our pain. He has sorrows and grief. It's translated as sickness. You know, he carried our sicknesses and endured the torment of our sufferings. He endured the torment of our sufferings. We viewed him as the one who was being punished for something he himself had done. As one who was struck down by God and brought low. We viewed him. Are you guys getting what I'm telling? Verse uh, N-E-T, right? New, um, New English translation. N-E-T. Verse 4. What does it say? But he lifted up our illness. He carried our pain. Even though we thought he was being punished, attacked by God. Afflicted for something he had done. See, we were thinking, we thought, in fact, uh, read the same thing in uh, Amplified. Surely he has borne our griefs, sickness, weaknesses, carried our sorrows and pains of punishment. Yet we ignorantly considered him stricken, smitten and afflicted by God. 
yet we ignorantly considered are you are you are you even listening yet we ignorantly we thought we viewed it was our understanding wrong understanding that we were thinking that god is punishing jesus that's exactly what it says what does verse 5 say uh but he was wounded for our transgressions he was bruised for our iniquities the chastisement for our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed verse 4 says we were thinking god is punishing him right verse 5 says but but that but itself clarifies a lot of things we were thinking god is punishing him but he was wounded for our transgressions he was bruised for our iniquities actually the word for is better translated because of let's do any t he was he was wounded because of our rebellious deeds he was wounded because of our rebellious deeds crushed because of our sins he endured punishment from whose hand from whose hand who was punishing jesus just think about it who was punishing jesus was it god or was it us who said crucify him crucify him crucify him who demanded his death yet he was wounded because of our rebellious deeds we you know all our rebellious deeds he was crushed because of our sins he endured punishment that made us well because of his wounds we have been healed see i want you to notice something look how net translates because of because of because of there are three because of right he was wounded because of our rebellious deeds he was crushed because of our sins because of his wounds we have been healed it's unfortunate that new king james translates the same word as you know um let me uh put it this way right in verse 5 the new king james says he was wounded for our transgressions then he was bruised for our iniquities then it says by his stripes we are healed this word for is mistranslated in new king james because it's the same word that is that comes as by are you getting what i'm telling that's why in net all three is used because of because of because of he was wounded because of our transgressions he was bruised because of our iniquities because of his stripes we are healed it's because it's the same word just replace this word for by the word by he was wounded by 
our transgressions. He was bruised by our iniquities and by the wound, by the stripes that we put on him, we are healed. Are you getting what I'm saying? He was wounded by our transgression. He was bruised by our iniquity. What was happening on the cross is our transgression, is our iniquity. We were mistreating him. We were killing him. We were stripping him apart. We were shaming him. We were putting stripes on him. And as we were pouring out our wrath on him, by every stripe that was coming on him, you know what Jesus was saying, what the Father was saying, you know what the Holy Spirit was saying. You know, when we were lashing him with the whip, and, 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 and a stripe was created in the tearing the flesh of Jesus. You know, the triune God was saying, by this, I'm going to heal you. By this, I'm going to heal you. By our iniquities, by our transgressions, we wounded him. We despised him. We hid our face. We did all those things. But he used whatever we did to him to heal us, to reach us. I am sure when you are hearing this for the first time, it looks, it might hear like I am misquoting scriptures and I'm twisting scriptures to make it appear as to prove a point of what I'm trying to say. But it is because of our deeply trenched legal framework. It meant what it meant all these years to us. It's not saying those things. It is saying the opposite. It is saying the opposite. Verse 6. Let me read New, New King James. All all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was made sin. Yes. The Lord laid our iniquity on him. Yes. That's true. That doesn't mean God was punishing Jesus. Pouring out his wrath on Jesus. He made Jesus sin for us. That's true. He laid the iniquity of us upon him. That doesn't mean he poured out his wrath on him. Are you getting what I'm saying? God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. God made Jesus to become sin for us. That is the triune act of love for us. That was not an act of wrath. That was not an act of violence. That was not an uh, act of retribution. It was an act of self-sacrificial love. Father made his own son sin for us. He laid the iniquity of us all upon him. Look at what it says in NET. Uh, all of us have wandered off like sheep. Each of us have strayed off on his own path. But the Lord caused the sin of all of us to attack him. What does it say? The Lord caused the sin of all of us to attack him. Verse 7 is a biggie. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before its shearers is, is silent. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. See, verse 8, it's not clear in New King James. Verse 8 he was taken from prison and from judgment. Right? Look at uh, words uh, in passion. What does it say? By coercion and with a perversion of justice, he was taken away. What is NET saying? 
He was led away after an unjust trial. But who even cared? So what happened on the cross is not the justice of God. It is the injustice of humanity. It is the greatest injustice that mankind ever did is to crucify Jesus. He was take, justice was taken away from him. You know, nobody treated him with justice. No, nobody gave him a fair trial. They accused him wrong. They created false accusations. They created false witnesses. And they, they, they were bloodthirsty mongers crying, crucify him, crucify him. We were, we were doing all these things. We were doing the, all these things. It's easier to say the Jewish people did it. We were doing all these things. God was not sitting up there demanding blood of Jesus. We were demanding the blood of Jesus. It's a perversion of justice. So don't say justice and mercy met at the cross. No, 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 no. See, it was a justice taken away. Uh, he used our injustice to reveal his restorative justice. Are you getting what I'm telling? He used our retributive, violent injustice to reveal his healing, therapeutic, restorative justice. Yes. Yes. That's exactly what he did. He was cut off from the land of the living for the transgressions of my people. He was stricken. They made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. Because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Okay. I've read from Isaiah 53. I did not leave one verse. I read it all the way till verse 9. Now I'm reading verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. There you have it. Yeah, we were looking for a verse which says God punished Jesus. There, right there you have it. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. I've just put Isaiah 53, 10. In, okay, I'm going to just read different versions to you. You can see it. NIV, right? Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him. It was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. NLT. It was Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. ESV. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. And he was put him to grief. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him. And to cause him to suffer. Wherein. But the Lord was pleased to crush him. Put him to grief. In KJV. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Yet the Lord was pleased to crush him severely. Look at contemporary English version. The Lord decided. Actually what it exactly means. There are two options I'll give you. You can take whichever looks better for you. Okay. Look at contemporary English version. CEV. It says the Lord decided his servant would suffer as a sacrifice to take away the sin and guilt of others. The Lord decided to, his servant would suffer as a sacrifice to take away the sin and the guilt of others. Did the Lord decide it? Did the father decide that Jesus should die such a death? Yes. 
Yes, he decided. See, in the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is saying, if it is your will, let this cup pass from me. But let it is not my will, but let your will be done. See, whatever he sees the father do, that's what Jesus does, right? Whatever he, he says, I do not do anything on my own. And whatever I see the father do, that's what I do. That's what, that's how Jesus lived his life. Did it change in the garden of Gethsemane? In the garden of Gethsemane, he is coming and praying. If it is your will, let this cup pass from me. And he sees. And what did he see? That he says, yet not my will. Let your will be done. And he takes that cup. Did God say, no, I am so angry. I am almost about to pour my wrath on you. Right now, no change of plan. No, 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 no. Whenever you see father separate from Jesus on the cross, you have a problem. Was the father absent from Jesus? See, he kept saying, right, in John, he kept saying to people, all of you guys will run away. All of you guys will ditch me. All of you guys will betray me. Yet I'm not alone. My father has never left me alone. Did the father leave Jesus alone on the cross? Did the father, did, did the father leave us alone on the cross? Did father leave Jesus? Did the father leave Adam alone in the garden? No. No, he is a father who doesn't do abandonment. He never abandons his people. He has never abandoned Adam. He has never abandoned Jesus. He has never abandoned you. But see, is it God's will? Is cross God's will? Yes, it is God's will. Uh, come, come with me to uh, Acts, Acts 2.23. Again, I'll read it from different versions. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. Two things are involved at the cross. In giving up Jesus over, God's deliberate plan and his foreknowledge. His foreknowledge of our capacity of for evil and what we'll do. He had pure, perfect foreknowledge of what we were capacity, what capacity we had to do to Jesus on the cross. And he used that foreknowledge to plan his salvation through that act. Are you getting what I'm saying? See, Jesus could have died death hundred ways. If it is all the blood that God wants. You know, if he cuts his thing and he sheds his blood, it's still the blood that God wants, right? I will talk about the blood the coming week. Uh, but, you know, if it is just the blood is what God wants, him giving blood anyway would have done the deal. But why did God choose the cross? Because that's the worst invention of mankind. The torture instrument that has never been something created like that before that or after that. Today we hang people, electric chair, put in injection, all these forms of killing people, shooting, whatever it is, nothing is as torturous as the cross. So he waited 
for mankind to come up with his worst invention. And he sent his son precisely at that time. Deliberate plan because in our worst, God wanted to embrace us. Oh my goodness. In our worst, in our, in our worst small function, in our peak of wrath, he wanted to embrace us, to hug us when we were doing our worst. So it was the Lord's will that Jesus should to be crushed like that in our hands. Yes, it is the Lord's will. But God did not crush him. It, it, it doesn't say the Lord crushed him. It says it's the Lord's will that he should be crushed. Yes, it is the Lord's will he should be crushed. That doesn't make God the one who is crushing. Are you, are you understanding what I'm saying? I'll give you the other option. See, uh, before that, let me read a couple of translations so that you get it. Acts 2.23, right? But you, but God knew, New Living Translation, but God knew what would happen and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. But look at the next half of the verse. With the help of wicked men, you put him to death by nailing him to the cross. That's what it says. He was Berean Bible study. You know, study Bible. He was delivered up by God's set plan and foreknowledge. And you, by the hands of the lawless, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed him to the cross. So, God's foreknowledge of man's capacity and his foreordained purpose that in our worst, his best form of love should be manifest. In our worst manifestation of our evil, his best form of love should be manifested. That is the foreordained plan of God. And only that can heal us. While we were killing him, while we were lashing out our wrath on him, while we were bruising him and wounding him, and when he embraced us and he said, I forgive you, I'm not going to hold this against you. God was in Christ Jesus reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them. My goodness. The father was in Jesus. Father was in Jesus. Not imputing the trespasses, but hugging us, holding us close. He was waiting, as I told you, we were having knives and we were doing all these things and he was holding us till we dropped the knife after getting tired and start receiving his hug and allow him to heal our brokenness and pain. That's exactly what happened. Yeah. Yes. See, there is another version which is called the uh, Septuagint, which is the Greek version. Because the Hebrew there is not really clear. In you know, a few translations you might see at the bottom note, you know, Hebrew text not clear. Uh, 
the New Testament authors used the Greek version of the Old Testament to quote it from, right? Because they were writing in Greek, they used the Greek translation of the Old Testament to quote things. Look at what Isaiah 53.10 says in the Alexis. The Lord also is pleased to purge him from his stroke. Purge, the word purge is cleanse, meaning heal. Leper comes and says, right, cleanse me. If you're willing, clean me. Make me clean. Right? The Lord is also pleased to purge him from his stroke. If you he can give an offering for sin, your soul shall see. Look at the verse 11. The Lord also is pleased to take away from the travail of his soul to show him light. To form him with understanding. Then he talks about resurrection and you know the inheritance in the next couple of verses. So Septuagint says it pleased the Lord to relieve him of his pain, right? Take away the travail of his soul, you know, cleanse him, purge him of his stroke. If you want to take that, or if you want to take what it says, you know. In all these versions, it was the Lord's will that he should be crushed. Right? But it doesn't say, it pleased the Lord to change. No, that's not what it says. No, 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 no. Don't read that into that text. It was the Lord's will. It was just like Acts 2.23. It was the foreordained and predetermined plan. That God would reveal his love. By suffering in our hands, suffering the injustice in our hands, suffering the wrath in our hands. See, God did not change his mind about you after the cross. Cross did not change God's mind about you. Cross changed our mind about him. Did you listen to that? Cross did not change the Father's view of you. Cross changes our view of the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son. The Son came to reveal the Father. Is that not true on the cross? Is that statement not true on the cross? All of a sudden, cross alone reveals an angry Father. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. While healing, he reveals the father. While, um, you know, forgiving the uh, adulterous woman, he's revealing the father. While feeding the 5,000, he's revealing the father. While raising the dead, he's revealing the father. How cross alone would reveal a different father? Cross also reveals the same father. If you have seen me, you've seen the father. A father who would go through death. A father who would... Go through punishment from your hands. Who would take up the blame upon himself. And reconcile you. Reconcile you. Reconcile you. It is, it is, you know, God doesn't need the Jesus lens to look at us. See, I preach like this. God sees Christ. God does not see you. God sees Christ. God doesn't see you. No, 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 no. That's not in the Bible. God sees you. Because God loves you, 
See, what does John 3.16 say? For God so angry with the world that he gave. No, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We'll have Zoe life. So, God did not love us because Jesus died for us. Jesus died for us because the Father loved us. Jesus' death is a demonstration of Father's love for us. That's what Romans 5, 8 says. God demonstrated his own love toward us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So cross did not change God's heart towards mankind. Cross just changes our heart towards God. We're like, wow, what a great love. So what about blood? What about sacrifice? That we'll see uh, in the coming week. But just think about it. By He was wounded by our transgressions. He was bruised by our iniquities. By that stripes, we are healed. My goodness. We were ripping him apart. And he was saying, with every little stroke that you put on my body, I'm going to use it to heal you. And every drop of blood that sheds from my pore will speak forgiveness and not speak revenge like Abel. Speaks better things than that of Abel. So he was dying, shedding his blood and his blood revealing the forgiveness of God. The blood did not make God forgive our sin. The blood revealed the forgiveness of God in such self-sacrificial love. There you go. I just finished it in one line. The next week's sermon. Thank you, Jesus, for your broken body. By your stripes, we are healed. You did not spare your own son. You would freely give us all things. will freely give us all things. As you take part in communion today, expect to receive healing. Expect to receive peace for your troubled mind. Griefs. He carried our griefs. He carried our sorrows. Do you know you need not be depressed because he has, Jesus has already gone through the depression and found the Father. Depression happens when you feel you're lonely, where, you're, where you feel you're abandoned. You feel you're left alone, that nobody cares. That's the lie that Adam has spread over the world. And Jesus stepped into the darkness, cried our cries. My God, my God, why did you forsake me? He cried our cries, but found the Father in our darkness, in our brokenness, in our shame, in our hatred. He found the Father and he's willing to share his life his knowledge, his joy, his peace with us. Shall we all take one together? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for the healing power that is flowing right now. Healing for the emotions, healing for the mind, healing for relationships, healing in the bodies. I declare the healing that runs from the pores of Calvary would reach the innermost depths of our being 
healing us, cleansing us. And, this, and let this love in and through us flow to the people around us, in our families, in our marriages. Thank you, Lord, for your love for us. It's so wonderful. In Jesus' most precious name we pray. Amen, 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 amen. God bless you. Make sure that you register for, uh, you know, we are going to just take 50, okay? Because I want to answer questions. I want it to be discussions. Uh, because I want it to be discussions, answering questions. I'm just 50 people I'm going to take in the Zoom. Okay, it's not a conference. Uh, I want to talk, listen, uh, address your questions regarding what I'm uh, presenting. So what is the requirement? The requirement is you should listen to all these foundation messages and write the questions to us before. You should listen to all these things and then write the questions to us and, uh, you know, do the registration. Um, God bless you for your generosity. I'm telling you, you know, love gives. Love gives. You can give without loving, but you can never love without giving. So the more and more your heart is touched by the love, you would be natural givers. You would be sacrificial givers. And not giving out of obligation, not giving out of any condition, not giving, okay, if I give, will I get more? Not, not, nothing of those gymnastics, but you would just give generously, knowing that whatever the Father has belongs to you. Because he did not spare his own son. He delivered him up for us, Lord. Will he not freely give us all things? God bless you.